just to catch you up to speed if you're visiting or tuning in for the first time. We've been, over the past five weeks, doing a, a series called Foundations of the Faith, where we started in the book of Genesis in the beginning, and we've, we've been focusing on a number of different topics, but in particular, observing how God, throughout the ages, has been building an everlasting kingdom through different covenants. The covenant that we see with Adam and then with Abraham through the book of Genesis and in Exodus, the Mosaic Covenant. And we'll move on next week to what is known as the Davidic Covenant. There's five major covenants of redemption, the final one being in Jesus Christ, which is why we exist today, because of His completed, finished work. In a sense, we've been flying at an altitude of 30,000 feet, if you will. And today we're going to kind of zoom down on a little prop prop plane. A little prop plane. Just briefly, to continue to see how God is being faithful to His covenant people in one particular event, or a few different events in history. And I want to invite you to turn to the book of Ruth with me at this time. Ruth chapter 1. And I'll begin in verse 1. If you're using the Pew Bibles in front of you, there you're going to find it on page 187. Ruth chapter 1. Verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Even if I had a husband tonight and then 
gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I pray once more, Father, I ask you again to help me to be faithful to your word and to help us see how we can continue to be faithful to you for your honor and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've entitled this particular sermon, Faithfulness in the Face of Hopelessness. And I have three points again for us today. The first one is the bitterness of death. Secondly, the beauty of godliness. And thirdly and finally, the blessings of of our covenant redeemer. So let's look at this first point. We see the bitterness of death. Look again at the first line of verse 1 in chapter 1. Consider these words. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. These words set the context of the time period when everything we read about just now was happening. When the judges ruled. This was not too long after the Lord had given victory to his people. When Joshua had taken over from Moses and led the people into the land of Canaan. Bringing down the walls of Jericho. But not long after that victory... The people had started to function in a way that is described as doing whatever was right in their own eyes, which is not so different from the world today. But this man whose name means Elimelech, 
which is, or his name is Elimelech, which means my God is king, and was the head of his family during this particular time. He led his family away from the famine. We don't see any particular insight or anything in the text that tells us it was actually God who led Elimelech or gave him the wisdom to say you should leave. We just see that he led his family away from Bethlehem into Moab, which actually was enemy territory. The Moabites and the Israelites and the Judahites had been, let's just say, not at peace for a long time. There was a lot of hostility between them. So again, there's no insight that God was the one who instructed them to leave this famine. And we see in this first chapter of Ruth the continuing evidence that we've been looking at since the fall in Genesis 3. We see the effects of Satan's initial work in the Garden of Eden. That sin and faithfulness is tearing apart families and nations because they do not want to do what is right in God's eyes, but to do what is right in their own eyes. And while we don't know the reasons for Elimelech's death or the death of their sons, we know that the death of anyone, death in general, is a result of that first original sin, for the wages of sin is death. Some people, looking at this text, will claim that Elimelech was sinning or he was being unfaithful to God by leaving Bethlehem and going to Moab. While it seems fair to say that they could have stayed, considering that many families did stay in this famine, which is how Naomi would have heard about the turn of events, we don't have a clear word on whether he was just trying to be resourceful or he was being unfaithful. We just know that he led his family into Moab. And again, look at the last verse of the book of Judges. Just to see the words there for ourselves. Verse 25. The last portion of that verse says, Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Don't miss this point that I'm repeating. As a general rule, many of us can attest to this. When we seek to do what is right in our own eyes, instead of looking to God and asking Him what is right, it always results in bad situations. Go back to the Garden of Eden once again. If we doubt this, and we see that one bad choice is what has led to the moment we're living in now with wars and famines but look at Naomi in the middle of what was going on in this situation Naomi was simply being a good wife being a godly wife submitting to her husband and going to Moab trusting God by following the leadership of her husband. Can you imagine how Naomi must have felt? As a woman, she had left the land where God's people dwelt for so long, the city named Bethlehem, 
which itself means house of bread or house of food, which was the opposite of what they had been experiencing in this famine, which was possibly a judgment from God against their unfaithfulness. But as a woman entering Moab into enemy territory, she would have been more vulnerable than her husband or her two sons. Maybe she was feeling fear, concerns and frustrations in the midst of this unknown situation. But she followed, trusting God. And consider the decades of life together with her husband that she would have experienced. The beauty and the joys of marriage as their sons had reached an age where they could marry. But they enter this foreign land and it's in the foreign land of Moab that her husband dies. The one who she has spent so many decades with in this one flesh union between one man and one woman. Can you imagine her pain and sadness at this point? Her fears increasing? Her uncertainty and frustration increasing? Some of you have also lost husbands. You know how this feels to some degree. On top of that, after Elimelech dies, notice what happens. Their sons marry Moabite women. People who don't believe in the one true God of Israel, of Judah. Their sons became unequally yoked. So along with the death and the the pain from the death of her husband, this would have been another type of hurt towards her as a faithful Jewish mother to see her children make this decision. And again, perhaps some of us listening understand what that feels like. On top of that, in time, after she grew to love and accept these daughters-in-law, her two sons die as well. It's one thing to bury your spouse, but then on top of that, to, to carry a child in your womb for nine months, give birth to him, raise him, watch him marry, and then have to bury him after burying your husband, and go through that twice endure that pain twice without the comfort of her husband this was a hopeless situation we talk about being in a valley or in a dark time this was a dark valley for Naomi which helps us understand why on her way back to Bethlehem she says don't call me Naomi anymore call me Mara Naomi means sweet or pleasant and Mara means bitter. Her life had become filled with bitterness. How have we responded? How have we responded to situations that are extremely painful or filled with bitterness or left us feeling bitter or frustrated? 
Or perhaps some of us are right there in the middle of a serious situation that makes us feel bitter, that's filled with pain, confusion, uncertainty. How are we responding to that situation? Or how are we responding to God in that situation? Perhaps is a better question to ask. You remember the account of Job? This is one of the historical accounts that I was reminded of reading through Ruth. And I, I would encourage you, as I do every week, to go and read through those four chapters of Ruth. But do you remember the account of Job? Almost in a moment, Job lost everything except his wife, who didn't seem very helpful either to be left with him. But I think it's, I think it's fair to say that while Naomi was not saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. She was also not standing completely with, with, with Job's wife, saying, curse God and die. I might as well just give up on God. Job even had to rebuke his wife for speaking like a fool, we're told, in the book of Job. But Naomi doesn't do that. She is wrestling with this bitterness, expressing her true emotions, but she's still recognizing the sovereign hand of God as she heads back to Bethlehem. In a sense, saying, I don't like how I feel. I don't, I, I, I'm really struggling with this bitterness, but I'm going to go lay myself down at the mercy of God in the midst of His people and see how He deals with me. She ran to God. She didn't give up on Him. And it is easy for us to give up on God sometimes for much less than what someone like Naomi went through. I think we learn from this that it's okay to express our feelings. But we want to make sure if we feel bitter or frustrated or disappointed about how things are going, that we express our feelings like the psalmists do with genuine, true emotion but with godliness and with a recognition that God is sovereign and good and His character doesn't change. That we cry out in an honest, true, and godly way. That we run to Him and find people who will help us run to Him, not away from Him. Which brings us to our second point, the beauty of godliness. So we see the godliness of Naomi in the ways that we've been thinking about. But we also see that over this 10-year period where she lost her husband and her two sons and she didn't turn her back on God, we see her godliness in the way that she's selfless towards her daughters-in-law. She had two daughters-in-law. And to tell them to go back to their people while she went in the other direction, was godly. She was putting their needs before her own. She recognized that as Moabites, they would not be treated well, especially as widowers, if they came back to Bethlehem. And so she said, go, go back. 
to your people, to your mother's place, to your gods. We see her godliness in the way that she tried to care, even in her pain, for her sister, for her daughters-in-law. But we also see later on, a couple chapters later, her godliness in the way that she sends her daughter Ruth to meet Boaz. First of all, to go and work in his fields. When they got back, the harvesting time had started. And so she, in line with the word of God, tells Ruth, okay, we have a family member whose fields are over here. His name is Boaz. You are to go out and work in this way, according to the word. Boaz, he comes and sees her work and he says, who is this woman? And the people describe to Boaz what Ruth is like. Well, this is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And she's working to care for and provide for her mother-in-law. And this is what's happened in their life. And Boaz says, wow. Okay. So she instructs Ruth how to work. And when she recognizes that Boaz has an interest in Ruth, she instructs Ruth in how to, in a godly manner, present herself to Boaz with the hopes that Boaz will marry Ruth, will purchase Naomi's possessions, which was a custom at the time for a widower, that one of her family members would do that. And if someone like Ruth was involved, the person in the family who purchased all those possessions would also marry. The closest relative would have purchased and married the, sorry, purchased the property and married Ruth. And we see Naomi being godly in the way she, she leads Ruth to do these things, trusting in God's, in God's sovereignty that Boaz would also behave in a godly manner when Ruth went to him to meet him and present herself in the way that Naomi instructed her to. Secondly, we see Ruth's godliness in her care for Naomi, putting herself in harm's way, being committed to Naomi, to her God. She says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. Ruth was a Moabite, but she had become a believer in this situation. She had become a true spiritual child of God. And she was expressing her faith. She was proving that faith by her works. And she had to have great faith, just like Naomi, to put herself in those fields and to work diligently. And to go and present herself to Boaz, hoping that God would bless that act of faith. Ruth embodied a Proverbs 31 woman in the way she did these things. And Boaz saw this clearly. In fact, when you read through the book of Ruth, you realize that it was Ruth's godliness in the way that she was doing something as simple as caring for her mother-in-law that first attracted Boaz to Ruth. Ironically, that's what first attracted me to my wife when I met her over 11 years ago. 
And I was in a foreign land. My mother, my brother and I met Samantha. And she had planned a whole afternoon for us to go in this unknown city. And after those four hours and seeing the kind of care that she expressed towards my mother, which was the complete opposite of what I had been doing for a long time, I was attracted to that virtue. This is a word to you younger women, and even women of any age who are single and desire to be married. Don't be deceived by the world in thinking that you have to work on your outward beauty as a priority, or your degrees. God's view of beauty is deeper than that, and more lasting than the beauty that fades. Character trumps all of the other pictures that we see around of what is so-called beauty. But along with those valuable lessons, I think in general God wants us to see that godliness for all of us is to be a premium. Do we put a premium on godliness when we promote education, when we promote other things which are genuinely good? Do we put a premium? And I'm saying this to those of us who are believers to the church. Do we put a premium on godliness? On what true attractiveness from the heart is Go back and read Proverbs 31. Read Ephesians 5, 21 through 24. Titus 2, 1 Peter 3. When you send your kids away to university, do you equally not just look for a good school, but consider if there is a good, godly church close by to care for their soul as well as their minds are being cared for? Or is our premium being placed on a retirement package 50 years later without godliness? Boaz's godliness is what I want us to think about next. Boaz means in him is strength. But once again, the true strength of Boaz that we see is his character, his godly character. He was an unmarried widower, a man in his prime, when he met Ruth the Moabite. With that in mind, just let's look at one or two other aspects of his godliness. As we thought about just now, he was attracted to Ruth's godliness, first and foremost. But notice how Boaz, when Ruth followed Naomi's advice and presented herself to Boaz, on the threshing floor at night, which you see in chapter 3. She just came and sat down on the end of his bed. And then a couple simple symbolic acts took place where Boaz basically symbolized that he was going to pursue her to be his wife. But there was godliness in their courtship. Maintaining sexual purity until marriage following God's word and seeking to court and marry each other according to God's will, according to the law. 
Let me show you how much God cares about women and vulnerable women at that. Boaz was following the pattern of passages like, like this in Deuteronomy 25, 5-6. This is what they call the leveret marriage. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. The title for the person who would do this was called a kinsman redeemer. But Boaz, continuing to function in a godly manner, realized that he wasn't the closest relative to Naomi. And he said, there's a kinsman redeemer who's even closer than me. So after he showed Ruth that he wanted to pursue her as his wife, without even kissing her, continuing to be godly and pure in all his actions, the very next morning, he went up to the city gates, which is basically like an outside court where they'd settle all the court matters, right? And he sits down with the elders and he calls this, this relative who's a closer relative to Naomi than he is. And he starts to say, there's an, there's an opportunity for you to purchase Naomi's property. And he kind of lists out what's at stake and the relative says, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take it. And he says, but there's one catch. You also have to marry the widow from Moab named Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And the guy says, no, we don't even have this person's name because this person is not honored in the text. But he says, no, I don't, want, I don't want that deal. And Boaz thinks to himself, great, that's what I wanted to hear. Because you see, whoever that person was, they would have had to further divide up their property. And instead of seeking to honor the word of God as the closest relative, he didn't want to further divide his possessions. But Boab saw the beauty of godliness in Naomi and in Ruth and the hand of God at work and says, perfect, I will marry Ruth. And he doesn't just marry her willingly. He's not just willing to do it. He does it heartily. And you have to wonder, what's the difference between Boaz and this other relative? Well, one consideration could be that Boaz's mother was Rahab. Remember Rahab? She was a non-Israelite, a foreigner, a prostitute, who lived in the city of Jericho and had heard about Yahweh, the one true God, and His people, and His sovereign victories, and that they were coming to Jericho. And she, in her heart, had put her trust in the true and living God. And Rahab became a spiritual Israelite, a spiritual child of God by faith. We see in Matthew 1.5 that Rahab was the mother of Boaz. Perhaps Boaz had grown up 
with this knowledge that God is a God of grace to the foreigner and had a, a heart that was more ready to accept and love Ruth. And that's a, an instructive lesson for us. But here we see these three people, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, and their faithfulness to God, standing out in a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And we want to make sure that as we live in a world where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, that that's not how we operate, especially as the church of the living God. We all may have great intentions as to how we continue to walk together. But it is looking to God in His Word and in prayer and following God's will as He has laid it out clearly in His Word that we will avoid the trap of pragmatism and of doing what is right in our own minds and in our own eyes. And how does God respond to the faithfulness of these, these two women and this one man? Which brings us to the final point. The blessings of our covenant redeemer. Look with me at chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord. To Naomi, they said this. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. See the last word in the book of Ruth? David. The covenant faithfulness of God once again is seen on full display here. You see, all the way back in Genesis 49 verse 10, Jacob was preparing to die and he had pronounced this prophetic blessing upon his son, Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come or until Shiloh comes, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Don't underestimate the effect of your faithfulness to the everyday basic things. Against the background of hopelessness during this time period of the judges, the faithfulness of Naomi, of Ruth, and of Boaz 
was used to fill out the family tree, which eventually gave birth to a king named David, and eventually to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the conquering lion from the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. Not only did Samuel go and find David in Bethlehem, but it was from Bethlehem, God's house of bread, that the bread of life Himself came for all who will receive Him to have eternal life. And He is the one who has tasted the ultimate sting and bitterness of death on behalf of those who trust in Him. He is the one who embodied the beauty of godliness so that when we trust in Him, not only is our penalty paid by the death He died, but we receive by faith His righteous works on our account so that we are seen by God the Father in the righteousness and the beauty of the godliness of Christ. And through Christ alone, all the blessings, the eternal blessings which are in Him flow to us and through us to those who we share the gospel with For He is the one who brings the blessings of God. He is the covenant, the kinsman, redeemer for all who will believe. So may we today not only trust in Him, whether for the first time or continue to trust in Him, but let us be encouraged by this fact that when things seem hopeless, stay faithful. Because God is faithfully working all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Let us pray. Father God, we, we do thank You for Your great faithfulness. And once again, I just want to say 